Hey, Uncertain Hour-ite. Chrissy here. We are in between seasons, hard at work on season four, but we're dropping this bonus episode into your ears because we just found out something fascinating that we really want to tell you about. It's the answer to a really big question that's been bugging us for literally years here on The Uncertain Hour. And to get you in the mood for this question, I want to play you just a little tape from our reporting last season, which was, of course, about America's very long war on drugs. One of the places we went back then was Wise County, Virginia. It's a place that has been hit so, so hard by the opioid crisis. Appalachia, where Wise County is, has for many years had some of the highest rates of opioid overdose deaths in the country. It just seemed like one person right after the other started getting addicted. Um, My oldest brother, Donnie, uh, passed away in 2013 from a drug overdose. That's Gleema Walker, who lives in Wise County. It wasn't just Gleema's brother who struggled with opioid use. Her daughter did. So did her son. And lots and lots of neighbors. When I was growing up, there wasn't as much addiction here. Nothing, nothing like it is now. I do not know why it changed so drastically over the years. Why did it change so drastically, Gleema wondered. What happened that made this place get hit so hard by opioids? Why here? That's a question that a lot of people have asked over the years. There's been a lot of research to try to answer the question of why here. But there's another related question that researchers have also started to look into. Why not there? If you look at a map of overdose rates, you'll notice that, you know, Texas has a very low overdose rate next, relative to its neighbors, and the same with California and New York. And so that, you know, has always kind of been sort of a mystery. And now there's new light being shed on that mystery of why there were certain parts of the country that seemed more protected, at least in terms of per capita deaths from the opioid crisis. It comes in the form of a new study that just came out called Origins of the Opioid Crisis and Its Enduring Impact. And it actually draws on some of our reporting here at The Uncertain Hour, specifically the secret internal documents from Purdue Pharma, the makers of OxyContin, that Caitlin Esch, our senior producer, dug up in the bowels of a courthouse in rural West Virginia. Caitlin is here with me now to talk about the new research and how it connects to our reporting. Hey, Caitlin. Hi. So we've been reporting on the causes and the fallout of the opioid crisis for two seasons now. And I remember two years ago, you came out of the deep, dark insides of a county courthouse in West Virginia, (laughs) wheeling this cart full of documents that you shared. So remind us of what you found in there. Yeah. So I went to the courthouse and I found all these secret internal documents from Purdue Pharma. They were stamped confidential and many had been sealed for years. Most had never been published. There were marketing memos and depositions and internal reports And one of the things that I found most interesting was this secret marketing report. Purdue Pharma had hired a consultant to lead a focus group of doctors to find out if the doctors would prescribe this new, extremely powerful opioid that they were bringing to market called OxyContin for non-cancer pain. Right. I remember you walking me through (laughs) this document and explaining what it actually meant. Yeah. And remember back in the mid-90s when OxyContin was coming to market, strong painkillers were really only used for cancer pain and for terminal pain. And Purdue was trying to expand that market to include back pain, chronic pain. They wanted to get out of the quote-unquote cancer bucket. 
And Purdue wanted to know, would doctors be receptive to this? Would they actually prescribe OxyContin for these kinds of pains? For these lower-grade pains. Yeah. And there was this one phrase that kept popping up. This yes. phrase was... Triplicate states. Triplicate states. Such such a boring phrase. <laughs> like, what, what the hell does triplicate state mean? Well, a triplicate state references an early prescription monitoring program for strong Schedule II narcotics like OxyContin. So basically, triplicate means there were three copies of a prescription. So a doctor would write a prescription and the doctor would keep one copy for years. And then two copies would go to the patient to take to the pharmacy and the pharmacist would keep a copy. And the third would go to state regulators. That's so, very important. So this is like like when I used to write checks and like there was like a little carbon copy of yes. my check mm-hmm. underneath so I could keep a record of it. But you're saying the key part is part of one of these records was going to state regulators. Yeah. And they would put it into a database to monitor and they would be looking for any sort of prescribing patterns that that seemed like, oh, maybe these drugs aren't going to where they're supposed to go. And what's striking is just how often the triplicate state program is mentioned in the marketing report. Here's David Powell. He's a senior economist at RAND. He's one of the authors of this brand new study. The main thing that stood out in the documents was that Purdue Pharma was very worried about states with these triplicate prescription programs. Um, They saw them as a significant barrier to entry of the product, and they even recommended targeting less promotional activity to states with these programs. So this report that the researcher is talking about, you actually have a copy of it. I do. In your hands right Mm now. Um, Just walk me through it. And I see there's a lot of sticky notes attached to it? I don't know, like I marked, 12 or... I marked the best references of the triplicate state program. There's probably, you know, 15 pages that I've marked here. So, yeah, just give us a, a flavor of how triplicate shows up in this. Yeah. So one of the first references to triplicate states comes up on page three. It says, based on the discussion of the two groups of doctors in the triplicate state, albeit a small sample, it did not appear that they used class two narcotics for treatment of non-cancer pain. Most did not want to go through the trouble involved, and they did not want to give the government an excuse to monitor their activities. So just translate that for me into English. Well, doctors in triplicate states were less inclined to write prescriptions for strong drugs like OxyContin because they didn't want to invite government oversight. Because there was this paper trail. Yes. And so there are a lot of references to this all throughout the report. And at the end, there's this big recommendation the focus group researchers are making to Purdue. I'll just read it to you. Okay. So this is on page 56. It says, Unless there is hard data to suggest otherwise, we do not feel that any further research of OxyContin for non-cancer pain would be appropriate in the triplicate states. It also says OxyContin should only be, quote, positioned to physicians in non-triplicate states. Translation. They're basically saying doctors are so skittish around these drugs for non-cancer pain, they won't be likely to prescribe them. So the focus group researchers are saying don't bother marketing to doctors in those states. In 1996, when OxyContin came to market, there were just five triplicate states, California, Texas, New York, Illinois, and Idaho. But they were really important markets or huge states. Right. Places you would want to sell OxyContin. Definitely. The idea that they would be avoiding these states, like, doesn't seem like a good idea from a marketing perspective. You wouldn't want to avoid them if you didn't have to. Yeah. So you start reading through this report, seeing this 
this unfamiliar word, this pretty boring word, triplicate, popping up (laughs) over and over again in these documents? And what are the questions that you start to ask yourself as as you're seeing this? Yeah, we had all these questions. I mean, did Purdue take the focus group researchers' advice? Did they not market to doctors in triplicate states? And if so, did that mean that there were fewer OxyContin prescriptions in those states? Was there less overdose death? Did the opioid crisis hit those states less hard? Um, So shout out to Maria Hollenhorst, our incredible producer that season, who is helping me wrangle all the data. We were trying to make a map and actually look at the triplicate states and compare prescriptions and death rates. Um, a lot of that data we had uh, we had trouble getting, so we never actually were able to draw any grand conclusions. We published our story in 2017, and two different researchers reached out and asked about our documents and asked if we would share them. Um, at the time, they were trying to understand state-by-state variation in overdose deaths. They thought it might have something to do with the rollout of OxyContin and the way that OxyContin was marketed in those states. And they thought it might have something to do with regulations. So you guys are kind of on parallel tracks in some ways. You have these questions and you have this document you're trying to figure out and understand and you have this theory, but you are not a research scientist. Correct. So you though you you probably could be in a different life. <laughs> um but so so you get to this question, you have this this really interesting raw material and then meanwhile these researchers show up who are asking a similar question and they contact you because they hear yes. about what this this document that you mentioned. Yes. So we give them our documents and they find a lot more documents and data sets that they're able to analyze. And our hunch was correct. They found that there were fewer OxyContin prescriptions in states with triplicate regulations and there were lower overdose death rates even 20 years later. That's big. That means that this triplicate thing was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. By 2000, states that had been triplicate states in 1996 had two and a half times fewer OxyContin prescriptions than non-triplicate states. Here's David Powell again. Certain markets were basically more ripe for promoting a potent opioid. So triplicate states may not have had ripe markets for OxyContin for two reasons. One, the regulations themselves were a barrier. And two, Purdue might have taken the advice from the focus group report and not marketed so much in those states. Did Purdue market less to these triplicate states, to these states that had tighter regulations? Well, the researchers point to the focus group report as evidence that Purdue avoided marketing in those states. They did not get a state-by-state breakdown of marketing budgets, which would have been proof. But they did analyze how much Purdue spent in gifts and in payments to doctors nationwide, which is public. And uh, they found that the company spent a lot less on doctors in triplicate states, 42 to 72 percent less per capita. 42 to 72 percent less. That's a lot less. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I should say that I did reach out to Purdue Pharma. They declined to comment. They have a lot on their plate right now, what with the massive opioid lawsuit settlement and all. Yes. And what's really interesting is that the same researchers did an earlier paper about the third wave of the opioid crisis that happened around 2010 when deaths from heroin and fentanyl shot up. And states with triplicate regulations were actually more insulated from that third wave of the opioid crisis. They didn't experience as much of a spike in heroin and fentanyl deaths as states without those regulations because their exposure was just different over the years preceding. Even though at that point we're not even talking about OxyContin. We're talking about different drugs. things that, weren't, that aren't prescribed, things yeah. that you get on the street 
Here's David Powell again. So the non-triplicate states end up having higher rates of Oxycontin misuse. Um, the states with higher rates of Oxycontin misuse are the ones that experience the rise in deaths involving illicit opioids. They found that overall, non-triplicate states would have had an average of 36% fewer drug overdose deaths and 44% fewer opioid overdose deaths from 1996 to 2017 if they had been triplicate states. Wow. So, so this suggests regulations mattered a lot, regulations of how these doctors were prescribing these drugs. Yeah, and researchers are quick to point out that other factors mattered, too. There were a lot of things influencing the supply and demand, but this triplicate state program turned out to be a very important factor. And in fact, it mattered so much that Purdue seems to have set aside $750,000 in 1999 to fund a, quote, program to impact the regulatory environment for opioid prescribing in triplicate states, end quote. So lobbying. Interesting. So there's actually evidence that Purdue really cared about these triplicate regulations and was spending money trying to impact those regulations. Yeah. And that brings up this other question for me, which is that we've been hearing for years about the role that specifically Purdue had in fueling the opioid crisis. OxyContin, the medication that they made and marketed, gets a lot of the blame in lawsuits and in public discussions about this. Based on this study, do you think that that's fair? Well, yeah, I mean, back in the 90s, OxyContin was the most powerful opioid marketed for moderate to severe pain. And triplicate states are as close as we can come to this kind of control group or like an alternate universe where OxyContin wasn't as prescribed. Uh, And so, yeah, we can see very clearly that that made a difference. The regulations mattered. The rollout of OxyContin mattered. OxyContin prescriptions mattered. So yeah, we've been hearing anecdotally for years that Purdue had a role in igniting the opioid crisis. And and I think now there's some proof. Well, thank you, Caitlin, for going into the bowels of that courthouse in the first place and coming out with this document that's proved to be really crucial to our understanding of how all this unfolded and how this crisis got underway. Thank you. You can find a link to the study that we've been talking about and see pictures of those secret Purdue marketing documents on our website, uncertainhour.org. And in case you're wondering, so-called triplicate programs no longer exist, but today pretty much every state has some kind of similar prescription monitoring program. That's it for this bonus episode of The Uncertain Hour. Thanks so much for listening. Our team includes me, Chrissy Clark, Caitlin Esch, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Muna Danish, Tony Wagner, Catherine Winter, Daniel Ramirez, Satara Nieves, and Deborah Clark. Special thanks to Maria Hollenhorst and Nancy Fergali. You heard us talking about our coverage from season two and season three of The Uncertain Hour. You should definitely go back and check that stuff out if you haven't already. And one last thing. The Uncertain Hour is produced by Marketplace, which is a nonprofit public service journalism organization. That means that we rely on listeners like you to help us keep the lights on. We couldn't make this show without you. Our end of the year fundraiser is going on right now. So to help us keep reporting on these kinds of issues, please become a Marketplace investor today at marketplace.org donate. Tell them that you love The Uncertain Hour and thanks. Thanks.